This is a Wild Gate Production Podcast. You're listening to the Old School Blues Podcast. podcast this is episode number five i am vince sitting alongside eric hey folks this week we have a special guest sitting in in the third chair we have colin from dead game society's mother chapter colin how's it going great hello gentlemen hello hello so uh obviously there's a new show this week but we're going to start off in case you don't know or don't know much about the mother chapter we're going to have colin talk a little bit about him and the dgs society in a whole colin Soapbox. Okay. Sure. Well, yeah, as the uh, the DGS has been around since, what, about uh, 2007? At least, uh, yeah. It was formed uh, after Gen Con in 2007 when uh, I was down there with uh, my cohorts, Michael Brown and, and Chad Parrish and, and a couple other guys. Um, and we basically concluded that we wanted to run um, some more old-school games uh, with kind of an old-school feel. You know, a, a narrative approach, you know, kind of a theater of the mind, more imaginative approach. But that kind of took on a life of its own. And then, and then we kind of added these costume and, and yeah. uh, theatrical elements to the, the games that we ran. And so for the next couple of Gen Cons and other conventions that we we're going to, we were heading out to, you know, Gary Con and, uh, you know, Nexus, uh, Game Hole and, and uh, a, a few other ones at the Yukon. Um, you know, we started running these games in, in costume and with these theatrical props and, and kind of trying to, to really create a fun, immersive experience for players. Um, so it then kind of branched out to other things. We started the podcast and the blogs and, um, we just got into other things. And, and then of course, uh, um, DM Vincent here, uh, yes. you know, he was one of the early guys to, to get involved and, and started doing his thing down in, uh, in Texas. Yes. And so we had our, our Southwestern chapter. Uh, so that, <laughs> that, you know, started up and, uh, which has been great. Uh, I would so say, you, know, you can know see some of the stuff down at, you, uh, Colin, at North Texas. Uh, Colin, I meant to ask, ask you this. Uh, sure. I never got, I know around 2009 is when you met up with Jason and I for like kind of the first time when we were doing uh, role for initiative together. I, mm-hmm. I never knew how exactly you got you and Jason actually came together and we started and we actually joined Dead Games at that point. But I never never understood how did you guys find each other. I, I don't even remember uh, you, that. You're talking about Jason Elliott. Yeah, Jason Elliott of uh, TSR. Yeah, I I met him at at Gen Con in 2008, oh, I believe it was. Right. Um and and you know we hooked up. I can't remember like how or why or what happened, but you know I must have been like in a tavern or something, and we just met up and. You know, he, he was originally from Chicago. Um, he, he kind of, you know, we're near the same age. So, you know, we, we started talking and, 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 and quickly, you know, connected and everything. And, th- and then he was very much into the same kind of gaming scene that I was into. Um, you know, really loved the old school stuff. And, and uh, you know, we started talking about Judges Guild and all this other stuff. And, and, um, and then I, I think... Soon after that, I was I was introduced to you. It must have been maybe the same year or, or maybe the year after that. Um, so I, I think it kind of all originated in Gen Con. And then after that, you know, I, I see Jason maybe at, uh, you know, two or three conventions a year now. 
you know, and then, you know, I just talked to him on social media and, uh, and then of course, Chad works with them directly with, uh, with TSR, you know, on, on some of their gaming projects and some podcast stuff that they're doing. Yeah. I, I just remember meeting all you guys and Jason's like, Oh yeah, we got it. We, you know, dead games aside, we got to join. We got to join. It's really cool. And he showed me all the stuff and I'm like, all right, yeah, we definitely have to do this. And then started talking to Chad a little bit more and then we started getting involved. I actually ran some games for you in 2000. I think it was 11, 10, 10 it was, or 11. Right? I ran under your banner as a uh, GM. Mm-hmm. I remember that. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, that was fun. You guys had your own room there at Gen Con at one point. We did. Yeah, we had uh, we had a couple rooms at Gen Con. I think at one point, point. Uh, and then in yeah. 2012, we kind of we kind of took it a step further, where um, we kind of pooled our resources and we rented the owner's suite of the Canterbury <laughs> Hotel up at the top. Ooh, wow! And uh, it was like this this bi level, 1500 square foot essentially hotel room, with all these rooms. And then we threw this huge party there and. Yeah, we, we had actually gaming going on in there and, and exclusive events and all this other stuff. So, you know, we had a lot of fun in 2012, but I have not been to Gen Con in a few years. Um, I'll probably go back eventually. I've, I've been hitting some other conventions, but yeah. uh, it, it got a little crowded for me and a, yeah. a little expensive. And um, I'm sure I'll make my way back there ultimately, but did, um, oh, we've had some good times there. Did Michael and Chad one going last year? No, they didn't. We did last year. Uh, we haven't made it to North Texas yet. I mean, we're, we're gonna, I, I promise. You better. But um, yeah. <laughs> we typically do a midwinter gaming convention right. in January. Um, and then we do, uh, a lot of times, we'll, we'll typically do GaryCon. At least some of us will do GaryCon. And then we'll do Nexus uh, in Milwaukee in, in the summer. And then we'll do um, either Yukon. In, in Michigan, or, or we'll do a uh, game hall um, right. in like November. Uh, but we're looking to, to do other conventions. Uh, Con on the Cob is one I really want to do. Um, yeah. I want to do Necronomicon. That sounds awesome. Um, and then certainly North Texas. So, I mean, those are, we did Camp Con one year too, which was, which was kind of fun. Eric, aren't you going to uh, Game Hall Con? Uh, I wanted to do Game Hall, but. That was going to be expensive. We were going to do Carnacob. But then my son announced that he was getting married and they were going to go apartment shopping. And now I'm paying for wedding reception and, you know, a month or two of rent. So, yeah, no, I'm going to be here. I I will instead be on Aethercon that, that weekend uh, doing part of a sandbox panel talking about sandboxes. Yeah, okay. <laughs> Well, good. Good luck to that. After, Thank you, sir. Maybe someone will record it so we can play it or something on the air. Now, Vince, what other uh, what other conventions do you typically do? I don't. Other than North Texas RPG Con right now, that's about it. I've been thinking about either doing Gary Con or maybe Origins next year. To be honest. Yeah, that's right. I forgot to mention Origins. We we've been there a few times, and uh, it, it's it's great. It's a lot of fun, especially for board gaming. Yeah. If you're really heavily into that, which um, I, I play pretty much everything. The the only thing I don't really get into is like Warhammer. Right. That's like the only thing I don't do. I mean, I do everything. I do board games. I mean, I even do LARPs. <laughs> <laughs> if, if if I really want to have fun, you know what I mean? So I, I just do everything. So. Hey, LARPs are fun, man. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you totally geek out in LARP. It's, it's fun. Well, there was a little convention I used to go to when I lived in Pennsylvania. 
uh, Eric, you were gonna actually gonna go to with Mepicon. Yep. Uh, they actually had a vampire LARP going on during that convention for the longest time, so that was kind of fun to jump into that every once in a while. Are you going to yeah. Mepicon at all, Eric? Or which one? Mepicon. Uh, don't know. Again, I got I feel it. Next year should be my con year. Uh, we play, we're gonna do North Texas, of course. Rach and I we're gonna you do uh, <laughs> Game Hall, and if we can toss a third in, we shall. Yeah, you definitely have to do uh, North Texas. Otherwise, my wife will be disappointed that you and Rachel don't come back down. Oh no, well, no, no! I, I'm not allowed to miss it. Okay, <laughs> Rach is not going to allow that. And I'm retired, so I really don't have the excuse not to show up. That's ah. right. You have nothing to do anymore. You're old and sitting at home doing nothing. No, I'm doing something, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so what about you yourself, Colin, getting into gaming? and Where did, where did you start? Where do your roots lie in for gaming exactly? Oh, boy. So, I, I mean, I, I have been – I'm not that old, but it sounds like I'm, like, super old when I tell this story because I, I've – been RPG gaming since probably 1979. <gasps> um, nice. So I, I cut my teeth on the Holmes edition yeah. of D&D. &D, mm -hmm. And my mother bought it for me one year for Christmas. You know, she gave it to me. I'm like, what the hell is this? You know, I can't figure this out. And I kind of opened it up and looked at it. And I'm like, wow, there's a lot of rules. I mean, what, what do I do with this? Hmm. Um, then like a year later, uh, a buddy of mine actually showed me how to play. It's like, oh my God, it's the greatest game ever. You just, you got to sit down and just listen because I got to show you how to do this. Got totally into it, you know, played for two or three years. And then he had the whole satanic panic you know, with D&D. &D. Like, everybody was, like, totally freaked out by it. So my mother was, like, taking it away from me. You know what I mean? Like, like we're confiscating this. I'm like, you're the one who got it for me. <laughs> now you're taking it away. What kind of mixed singles is this, you know, does this send me? <laughs> but she ultimately relented, so I continued to play. Um and then let's see, I, I, you know, I went to Gen Con the first time, I think it was like 1980. Oh, man. Shoot. Yeah, I mean, I remember like, you know, Gary being at the table, you know, that, that kind of thing. <laughs> it was back when there was like 2,000 people there or something or 2,500 people. So what was it like sitting with Gary back then? You know, I, I was like 10 years old. Um, it, it, he, he looks just like you imagine Gary to look. Mm. Like Gary doesn't, he always looked that way. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. He's like, he never changed. You know what I mean? So, so it's like, he was the same guy that you've seen in interviews or whatever. I mean, he was a real nice guy and everything. He was talking about, uh, I'm trying to remember, he was introducing something, like a new concepts mm -hmm. or, or new products from TSR. And, and we were all kind of sitting down and he was like demoing something. And I remember kind of sitting there, you know, following along. And uh, that was fun. And, yeah. um, so yeah, I I I really have been playing since probably '79. Um, I, I lived in Europe in the '80s, so I was in Germany. So uh, you know, I, I played with uh, a lot of uh, German kids. We would translate stuff in German <laughs> because it didn't, you know, it wasn't being sold there. So you had to take dungeon modules and basically translate them in German, and and you know, for for that, but. Uh, and then when I was in college, I didn't play too much. But then I started playing again when I got out of college. And then, I mean, my wife plays, my kids play, you know, most of my friends play. So just been gaming in one capacity for you know, or another for a long, long time. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. All righty, then. Uh, if they want to get more information about the 
mother chapter, they can go to what website? Be www.dgsociety.com. Where they can also listen to the Dead Game Society podcast as well. That is right. You can get that on uh, iTunes, too. On the iTunes, yes. On the iTunes. Yes, on the web. (laughs) They haven't kicked us off of there yet. Not yet, no, no. Anyway, let's head into our main meat of the show. Let's. This is how we roll. Okay, so this week we're going to talk a little bit about uh, Star Trek and adventures and creation in sci-fi and Star Trek type adventures. It doesn't really matter what game you look at when you play it all boils down to the same thing you have your error you have your plot and you have your baddies and you go forward just matters what system you're going to put it into that's all so colin you said you have run various fossa star trek games in the past conventions whatever when you sit down to start creating that adventure for say the kids or for a new con or something what ideas go through your head what how do you formulate your star trek adventure what's how do you start things off well i I always think about the tv show obviously which one um uh well if you're going to do like an old school star trek if you're going to do a fasa Mm -hmm. um that would be you know the 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 tv show from the 60s right you know the 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 first first tv show the original series yeah the original series didn't they have a supplement for next generation towards the end they did, and it's very interesting what happened with that because they they came out with this soft cover book. Yeah, and um, I, I believe it was called the Star Trek: The Next Generation Supplement. I think it was called, mm-hmm. and you know it was really cool. You know, it had it had you know Picard and Riker and and everybody in there and and the the new Enterprise and and um, so it was really neat. And they promised all these new products, but apparently they did not have the permission. <laughs> do that and and i guess they got into legal trouble and they were you know given cease and desist letters i guess this would be fasa and so they just had to abandon the whole project wow. so but there, there are a couple things out there i mean you can still run it but uh but again if you're talking about fast you're talking about the the, the original series really and, and there's just a huge amount of stuff for the original series with fasa oh yeah i mean there was uh at least was it three box sets? I know of two. I don't remember if there was a third one. Yeah, I don't remember. I have the second edition. I had the first and second, and they may have had a third. And you can't forget the bridge supplement, which is a standalone game where you oh, just yeah. man the bridge. For, that's what I, I didn't even have the uh, RPG. I just had the bridge, and we played the crap out of that. I never, <laughs> I never looked into that one at all. How, oh yeah. How did that one work, Eric? Do you remember? Oh, I couldn't. Even, I couldn't even tell you. It's it's. Just, what, 25 plus years ago? But we just loved the idea that we were simulating space combat, even if it probably didn't really simulate much of anything. It just seemed cool because it was Star Trek. I was a Star Trek kid. I wasn't Star Wars. Yeah, me too. My love was Star Trek growing up. But, all right, so back to what we were saying. You sit down, you're you're creating an adventure for the original series. Uh, What's your next idea after thinking about the show? What? You start with a bad guy, then move into a plot, or start with a plot, add the bad guy. What's your process, Colin? I think usually what I try to do with a sci-fi adventure is I think to myself, is this going to be 
a scenario in which there is a, a, a specific bad guy, let's say an alien uh, or maybe a rogue human, uh, or is this going to be a technological problem? Okay. Right. There, there, there could be something wrong with the ship. Right. There could be something wrong with the starbase. Um, you know, something wrong with a warp core that causes some bizarre, you know, event to happen. Um, or, you know, it, it, it could be something, um, you know, biological. Right. There could be a disease that infects the crew or a disease that infects the space colony. And you have to find a cure. So I, I think the first thing I would try to figure out is what, what's the problem going to be and, and how are, what's going to be the, the strategy that the crew uses to solve the problem. Okay. So you're looking at, you figure out the error, you start formulating what you're going to do by what's the problem they have, the players have to face, and then you start plotting out what they need to do to figure out that problem. Right, and I think one important thing to do too is, especially with um, like the fastest Star Trek, is every single uh, player character um, mm-hmm. I, has a different, usually has a different position on, on, on the on the starship. You know that they're either a science officer or a communications officer or security. It's important to give everybody something to do. Yeah. Um, so in the FASA system, there it's this percentile-based system. Yes. And there's this huge amount of, of skills, essentially, that you have. So as a GM, you can sit in there like, well, you know, what skills should the players be using, right? They, they might be using a damage control procedure or, or computer technology, you know. Um, if, if, check, if you're going to Chekhov, for instance, you know, he could use his Starship helm operation. Um, if, if you go to, uh, one of the other crew members, it might be transporter operations procedures and, you know, you roll against these things, you know, percentile. So it, you can, there's always an opportunity to give somebody something to do, even if it's translating an alien language, you know, it might be, might be a communications officer. So it's good to keep everybody at the table rolling dice and doing things, right? Because it's, it's not D and D where you're just dungeon crawl, go and fight, you know? It, it's this big collaborative effort uh, on the ship. Okay, so another thing that always comes up, and I see a, a lot of chatter about this on like Reddit or Facebook or something. Do you let the player be the captain, or is the captain going to be the GM? I think the uh, well. I mean, I guess you could do it either way, really. Well, okay, but, it kind of um, boils down to the whole thing, the rank system in the game. Obviously, sure. it's, it's a fictitious game with a fictitious rank system. Well, it's a real rank system, but it's used in the game. Some people have that problem with, well, you know, he's my friend. How can he tell me what to do? Kind of, you know, BS. So, you've run into those problems at all? or I haven't run into those problems, but I can see how they would arise. Yeah. Um, what about you, Tankar? If you, when you're running these kind of games, do you... Have you run into that issue? Do you offload the responsibility of the captain or the admiral into somebody else? Or, um, see, when I when I've run it, and uh, my running of it has uh, been with the uh, prime directive uh, rules. Yes, right. Okay. Okay. So, and, that, and that's it, it. Actually, is Star Trek canon up until like, I think seventy eight or seventy nine, because they got a light, but they can't use the character. So. But they can use the universe. But for me, my my cheat being the OSR guy I've been is, yeah, they're all officers, but they're always the ones that make up the away team. So yeah. in a way, you know, the, the, the event that can happen on the ship, I think one time I, 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 I did, but usually I'm putting them down on a planet and they're 
they're exploring and they're handling problems down there where rank means less. Exactly. So usually I, usually I kept the captain was GM NPC, but uh, once they're on, once they're dealing with the natives or the, the other, they're they're it's not so much the rank as their abilities that came into play. When they're on a starship, that's where kind of the rank was important. Yeah. Just you know, just just my experience. I, by by the way, the thing I'm holding in my hands is uh, Starships and Spacemen Second Edition, which is actually like a compatible with Labyrinth Lord. Yes. And it's something that I would actually enjoy running, but you know, I, my my whole thing too is always make sure there's enough red shirts to get killed before your players get killed, because it makes it still look lethal without you know having a, a high body count of PCs. But yeah. Yeah, I, I guess another thing you could do too would be to have Starfleet basically give you orders through, yeah. a, you know, an admiral contacting you and, and giving you a transmission and saying, you know, listen, you need to go to this, that's... these coordinates and do A, B, and C. Yeah, that's actually how I had to wind up handling it. I had to, after feeling out my group to figure out who was the person, you always have one person in the group that's going to be the take charge guy. No matter what you do, there's always going to be yeah. that guy in your group. Whether the other players like it or not, accept it or not, there's always going to be that guy. So once I filled out, I felt sorry, felt out the group and figured out who he was, I let him be the captain. No one else had a problem with that. Fine. What I did was I gave him the orders through obviously a commodore or an admiral. And when it came down to it, he gave orders. They listened, so there was no problem with it. Then once I felt out who the captain was, so. Yeah, do you guys it. ever find that uh, in games like this where there's a kind of like a strict rank system mm -hmm. um, that if you have one player at the table is really dominating yes you know, is kind of doing everything do you ever like throw like throw them a curveball or something to kind of take them out of the picture and, and to bring other people to the forefront yes yes uh, I've done it so that this dominating player actually got knocked out a bunch of times and it left it up to just like the junior officers to figure things out while he was passed out somewhere and they didn't know where. Sure. That makes sense. Yeah, but, or I've done it where it, you have somebody who has a specialized skill and it's like, well, you might be the ranking officer, but on this mission, uh, this junior, junior officer outranks you for this mission because he has the skill and the knowledge, which, you know, changes the dynamics a bit too. Right, the, the the captain may not have stellar cartography skills. <laughs> right, you know, so you have to you you, you have to, sorry, Cap. Yeah, if it's something that is rank like, but if we're dealing with the actual mission at hand, this junior officer is actually the one calling the shots. Yeah, it makes well, I, sense. It's it's just funny to watch while you're playing a game that has a ranking system. How touchy people actually get when you start pulling that rank on them in the game, and it's just a game, but people get touchy. Yeah those things just like do this do that well i don't want to do that that's an order it's like uh you can't oh wait yeah you can the rule the game says you can <laughs> damn and then it, and I, there was a lot of fights between one of my groups over it until the, that until i figured out who the captain was and then just went that way sometimes it works yeah. sometimes it doesn't there are some games where you know, you have like karma points or, yeah. or you have something like that. And, and you can, as a GM, you can ju judiciously remove those. Like if, if a person is not, you know, not role playing correctly or, or 
you know, totally going off script and like doing things that they wouldn't normally, you know what I mean? You can actually like start <laughs> penalizing them if you want. I, uh... So I, fast as Star Trek really doesn't have that ability. Um, you know, metagaming speaking, but other games do. Right. What I did do another couple times was uh, when the when the group was all the same rank, like around lieutenant, lieutenant commander around there, with a few select here and there, is what I did was when I sent the landing party down, I had the NPC captain say, you'll be leading the landing party. And then the next time, I would put it to somebody else. To, so there's always that little fair balance between the players. Right. I think that's the only really fair way to do it, not just put the same person in charge every time. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're going to run into a lot of fights and a lot of this and that and a lot of hard hardships going on, so you don't want that stuff. Right, mm-hmm. and, and it's strange because if you're playing a, a fantasy role-playing game like D&D or one of the OSR games, parties tend to gravitate toward a single leader who will be the same leader type, but, they're, but since they gave him that position of leadership, they're fine with it. But when you deal with the game with the ranking system, since he has the rank, all of a sudden it becomes... Even, even if they would have given that person that position, they they begrudge it. Yeah, the, yeah, they test it practically. Yeah. I had the same problem in uh, playing uh, Stargate SG-1, too, because that has a ranking system in it, and that always had so many issues in it. But anyway, different game, different time. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so back to our uh, seeding the adventure. So we get our adventure going, and uh, we get our problem. We have the solution... How do you space it out so that it's fun and exciting in your games? Uh, we'll start with Eric for that one. How would you space out your adventure, Eric, so it's fun and exciting and doesn't get blown over in like an hour? Well, it's just like any other RPG. you got to space out the encounters. It's not just going to be combat or it's not just going to be role play or uh, technical stuff. you got to seed a little bit of everything. you got to give them... Uh, options. If you if you put them if you put them on a train, they're gonna want to get off. But if you put them on a couple of sets of rails that all lead to the same place, they don't always realize that. But you have to give them options. And role play. Uh, personally, uh, when you're playing a science fiction game like Star Trek, role play is a big part of it. Yes. Uh, like I said, that's why. I like the red shirts because I can show I can show danger and death with another red shirt getting you know randomly killed or whatever, without it really affecting what's going to go on with my players and what they're going to accomplish. This is probably why the red shirts were so popular in the original series. It got to show danger and death without putting the uh, stars in the line of fire. So. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was funny whenever you would see, like, even in the next generation, you would see the random red shirt on the bridge. Yes. You're like, yep. okay, well, we know that guy's going to die. <laughs> you know, something bad's going to happen. Sacrificial lamb. If you watch the original series way back in the early episodes, it was always the gold shirts that died, if you've noticed. I don't know oh, if you yeah, that's close right. close attention to that, but every time somebody died, it was a gold shirt. And then they even though Kirk wore a gold shirt. Yeah, I, I know it was just funny because like everybody that died was a gold shirt. Command staff was dying left and right. <laughs> Very like, interesting. Meh, we'll just make it security. <laughs> they wound up. Uh, what was I don't know if if, if you guys watched uh, the Enterprise TV show at all. Yes, no. 
Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Random episodes. My my son watched it religiously, which is probably why I didn't. <laughs> well, I, I I liked that show, so too bad. But yeah, I actually liked it too. Yeah, I thought it was done rather well for its time. But whatever about the theme, we'll get a, we'll talk about it another time. But did you notice how the Makos, the Marines, slowly became the red shirts of Enterprise towards the end of that show? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, they did. They went from having faced characters like the major and his lieutenants to just basically the Makos and it was Sergeant Corporal Death, Death, Death. <laughs> It was like they were going on an away mission. They brought a Mako. You knew he was dying. He was the new right. red shirt. It's like, oh, you picked the short straw. We're so sorry. <laughs> That's why some uh, science fiction series, it was kind of hard if, if they didn't have, you know, the red shirt. Like, um, I remember I was used to watch uh, Andromeda. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys ever saw that? Yeah, yeah. Yep. But I thought that was a really cool show. But you had only like, what, there were like five people in the crew? <laughs> and that was it. You know, I mean, you didn't have yeah. any like extraneous people that would die. And I was like, <laughs> Kevin Zorbo survived everything. He did. I think. I think most of them did survive everything. But but yeah. like, like Enterprise. The thing I liked about that show is not everybody got along. You know, no, there be yeah. conflict be- between characters on the ship, and th- and that's kind of what I liked about it, Enterprise because you just had, you know, these weird you know, ideological or personality conflicts going on and, and, and it created a level of tension. I thought that was that was kind of missing from let's say uh Voyager. Oh uh, well at that point with well, Voyager I don't want to talk about that anyway, but uh yeah, I especially enjoyed the whole Major Hayes, Lieutenant Reed battling for that whole security position dominance thing going there. Uh, that really was a very interesting how they I, I never understood why they did that, and then they just wound up killing the character off. But, right. <laughs> but I did enjoy the banter between. It's always like, oh, Reed's got him. Oh, Hayes got him now. It's like you know, just waiting to see each week what they were doing to each other, back and forth. Right. But yeah, I, I don't know. So, uh, what are, so what's your guys' favorite era for Star Trek? I mean, mine was obviously I grew up watching the original series, and later on fell in love with Enterprise. I like Next Generation and Deep Space Nine, but I don't like Voyager at all. Eric, what about you? Uh, the original series, I really liked watching Next Generation, Deep Space Nine, eh, Voyager, yeah. But, no, the Next Generation I really enjoyed, but when I think of gaming, when I think of a role-playing game set in the Star Trek universe, I think of Spock and Kirk and and the red shirts and it to me that just is, is where it's at. Maybe it's because the next generation was too. Uh, they were adventuring in the first series. In the second series, they were dealing with more social issues. I don't know. It was good, but not not for gaming for me. Yeah, I, I think for me too. It, it, if I'm going to be gaming in that universe, is typically I'll go with the the original show. Yeah. Um, I mean, I love Next Generation too, but there's some issues there with adjudicating certain things. Like, for instance, Data. You know, Data is a super powerful. Oh yeah. Being, you know, and and so it's a little more challenging. Yeah. To run it in that Next Generation universe because there there's some curveballs you have there to to, to deal with. Um, the the Enterprise itself is vastly more powerful. Um, it's it's got these incredible abilities. So it's it's 
you know what it's like? It's it's kind of like red box D and D versus like black box D&D, you know, back, back from the day. It's like, you know, the, the, the classic show and you know, the original show would be kind of like your red box D&D. You know, you, you know what you're dealing with, you know what your character's abilities are. It's, it's, it's relatively low powered. But once you get to the next generation, that's like you're in big time intergalactic, earth shattering, you know, kind of hyper powerful scenarios. Right? Does it, do you guys kind of see that too or is that or is that just me that's no no i, no, I can certainly right. see that but it would be like going from red box to uh D second edition with the splat books to me that that's how big the power curve is between the original series and the next generation voyager d space nine era you know i i like the simplicity of the original series i i, I enjoyed the cartoons which, oh yeah i'm not the cartoon is great yeah yeah I uh, I think it's like going from AD and D first edition to fifth edition. That's the difference between the power levels. To be honest, it's just oh. a drastic change between the two of them. Because I was, I just recently introduced my wife to Star Trek in this last couple of months. I mean, she liked the movies, obviously that just came out in the last what six years or so. But right. that, we all know that's not really Star Trek. I don't care what the people no. out there say. Yeah, it's Star Trek, but it's not Star Trek. I don't care. But. Uh, people have their own opinion. That's my opinion. I don't care. But you mean the new movies, right? That's what I meant. Yeah, like yeah, ten. Yeah. What is it? Eleven, I, I, twelve, and thirteen. Whatever. Twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Whatever the movies are. It, it, yeah, to me, it's just I, I enjoy them. I mean, they're okay, but it's not Star Trek. The um, the, the JJ verse or the Kelvin verse or whatever it's called at this point. Right. It, it's it's diehard in space. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, no, I didn't yeah. think of that. That's pretty good. Yeah, and it's it's just it doesn't even feel like Star Trek at all to me. You know, it, it's like when somebody says, "Oh, did you see what? You know, what's the last Star Trek movie you saw?" I, instantly in my head, I think of like, you know, Star Trek Six or whatever. Like back back in the day, like I don't even like consider the new ones. <laughs> it doesn't even, you know, I I stopped counting. I think with uh, Wrath of Khan, I don't think they got that. That was the high point. That was definitely the high point for sure. Wrath of Khan, but, yeah, but. Um, so my point was, I don't remember. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Thanks, Eric. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, I'll take the blame. I'll, I'll fall on it. Yeah, okay. so the new movies are just what they are. They're in the new movies. They're not really Star Trek. And as uh, our, our guest host from the past, James Spawn, the great James Spawn, has said to me, so the new Star Trek movies are like Star Wars, the same type of like atmosphere it feels like, just what Star Trek slapped on it. And it kind of made sense the way he explained it. Maybe I'm not as much explaining it how he did, but that it just kind of made sense how he said Star Wars, which Star Trek yeah, just slapped that. right on it. Yeah, no, I can see that. But it's more, yeah. it's more space opera. Yeah. So yeah, the mov- the movies, the new movies are what they are. They're great. But it's even George Takei himself said the new movies are not Star Trek. It's missing the one thing that Gene Roddenberry had put into all of his projects: the time frame of tackling the issues of the day. If you remember the old 60s show, they always tackled oh, yeah. the issues of the time. The movies, they yeah, tackled they issues of the time. For instance, Star Trek IV, The Voyage Home, The Whales. Boom. Oh, God. Right. <laughs> Shut up, Eric. But you know you loved it. You loved no, no, it. I, 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 no, I didn't, but that's okay. I know some people did. Tell us the truth. <laughs> so back to my original point, I did get my wife just first just interested in, she started watching with actually the movies, which she was okay, yeah, and then all of a sudden, one day she saw me watching Enterprise TV show. 
Right. And she sat down and started watching Enterprise and then was like, I want to watch more. I want to watch more. And I'm like, oh, really? She's like, yeah. She started enjoying it because then she started, like, nicknaming characters on the show. Like, to Paul, she called her wristed... <laughs> She called her resting bitch face. <laughs> I was like, nice. I was like, no, no, she's a Vulcan. Oh, well, she has a resting bitch face. And then she's like, you know, and then the communications officer, uh, Hoshi, she was, he was calling her Debbie Downer, and she got mad at this character and that character, and then it became a whole thing, and then we went into, you know, the Kirk era, and she was like, oh, wow, this is cheesy but awesome. So, <laughs> And then she finally watched Wrath of Khan. <laughs> Do you like it? She absolutely loved it, and then she understood nice. every reference that I finally said for, like, the last 10 years. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I showed that to my kids, Rathacon, and they loved it. You know, even though, I mean, these are kids that, you know, this one is 13, the other's 11. I mean, they've grown up with some pretty high-end special effects, extravaganza, new movies, but they still loved that. Rathacon, I thought it was great. It holds up to today. I don't care. I mean, <laughs> the outfits and the hair aside, it still holds up. Yeah, yeah. She thought Khan was awesome, just the way uh, Ricardo Montalban played the character. Guardian mm-hmm. and mother. <laughs> <laughs> and she said that the new now now that she understands why I said the whole when the new movie uh, was Into Darkness when they had Khan in that movie was nothing compared to the original Khan. Oh, God, no. Oh, painful. No, I mean, I liked it. I don't want people to think we're out here bashing the new stuff. No, 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 not at all. I mean, I like the new uh, stuff for what it uh, is. It was, a, it was a good ride, but it, you had to forget that it was supposedly drawing from an earlier reference. As long as you didn't try to link the two, on its own, it's a good movie. But just don't try to think of it as the Khan. Uh, yeah, so this weekend we're, we're going to sit down and uh, watch uh, the search for Spock because she has to know what happened with Spock now because I've told her, but she wants to see it. So, mm-hmm. And uh, we also started watching The Next Generation, which she's in love with that too because there's all these new things. She's like, wait, Klingons aren't mean anymore? I'm like, well, they're still mean. They're just our friends now. Yeah, I, I was never crazy about that whole idea, you know. I, and and you know, if, if I'm running a game, I'm obviously if, if it's going to be original series, and Klingons are still going to be bad, because I mean they, they just make great villains. Well, the Romulans make great villains too, and oh yeah, Romulans are even better. Which I was kind of kind of annoyed the fact the way Enterprise ended, they were just going to get into that whole the whole Romulan war versus the uh, uh, um, the Federation at that point would have been so. I wish they would have continued that, like a movie or something, because that would have been really interesting to see how that got played out. Yeah, it would have been. But, yeah, so I guess that's uh, what we can say about Star Trek this week. What do you guys have anything else we should add? Oh, I'm trying to think if we've covered every, anything. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, there are so many different uh, editions, publications, uh, publishers of official Star Trek material and derivative material, you'll find something that, that fits your, your taste. Yeah. There was the, um, I mean, aside, obviously we talked about FASA, right. And, and and FASA is this kind of percentile based, um, kind of very stat heavy game. Yeah. You know, where where you have like action points where you use action points to do things. Uh, but there's, there's other, versions of the game there's the last unicorn you guys remember that they came yeah. out with star trek game i've never played the last unicorn really uh, oh wow but i did play the decipher one 
um, at one convention, I played the Decipher version of, of Star Trek. And uh, it was okay, although I think I preferred the FASA. And um, now another one is coming out, apparently. It's, it's um, Modifius. Yes, of Star Trek Modifius Adventure game. Games. Mm-hmm. And that looks really cool. Um, I, I was on just on their website yesterday. And um, they're, they're the same people that did, like, Octoon Cthulhu. Yes. And, and, and some Conan. other stuff. Yeah, and Conan, and I'll tell you what I love about those guys is the art. I think they have the best artists, and and their their presentation is just beautiful I for can, their games. I can so tell you, I, I'm really looking forward to that. I can tell you this: these guys have nothing but love for Star Trek. They're big fans of Star Trek, and you should see what they're pouring into this game, dude. Oh, I can't wait. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely I, geared up for it. The beta should be dropping. Uh, another two two weeks beta drops. Really? Yeah, beta oh, drops great. in two weeks. So I'm looking forward to getting my little pause on that once they hand it out, so I can do it. I already know that I was talking last week to uh, Glenn. He said he wants to play in a game actually because he loves Star Trek too. So it'd be fun to see how that runs up. Maybe I'll record it and throw it on the air for everybody. Ooh, people love that. Yeah, that'll be cool. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. All right, cool. So uh, last thing we're going to go out on, and you don't have to give any detailed explanation of this, just what do you think? Star Trek Discovery, the new show coming out in 2017, do you think it's going to be a flop or it's going to be hungrily accepted? Colin. Uh, who is it? Who's involved with it? Who is doing it? CBS. But, I mean, do they have specific producers and directors signed up? I mean, like, is it... Uh... The same one that did Enterprise, um well, those two guys. Um, they also did um, Next Generation too, didn't they? Oh, I don't know. Uh, Brandon and, and what were those two guys' names? I can't think of their names. I couldn't tell you. I think it, it's it's a tough call because I think the problem that you have these days is that the technology exists for you to do spectacular special effects. And to get bogged down in, in, in visual spectacle without storytelling. So I, I think one of the things that makes like a show like, for instance, Doctor Who so great is that for so many years, they had to almost completely depend on storytelling. They just didn't have the effects to just, you know, do these wild things. So, I mean, they had to really have great characters and everything. So Got with it. this new Star Trek, you know, again, it, the temptation is to turn it into like this kind of juvenile visual spectacle when you should be really focusing on storytelling and character interaction and, and plot art, you know, arc and that kind of thing. The producers of the show are Kurtzman and Fuller. Okay. okay. They did uh, enterprise and uh, next generation. It looks like. Okay. So, I mean, they, they, they know what they're doing. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope they can, they can deliver. I mean, I'm certainly excited for it. Yeah, I'm excited, but my issue is only the first episode is going to be on CBS. After that, it's going to CBS. CBS's new uh, subscription service. Yeah. Oh, really? And yes, so yeah. you, you get your free taste, and then they want you to. So they're, they're they're using the new Star Trek series to really get people to sign up for the subscription service. However, there's a delay now, if I understand, in the in uh, production the yeah. series in production, like six months or so, but. CBS has already launched its subscription service. It's going to be interesting to see if in six months they decide to 
make it exclusive to the subscription service or if they keep it on the air. One well, one thing that I I don't understand is they're doing that here, but yet everywhere else in the world you can get it on Netflix. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is dumb. I I just don't understand that. I, CBS just made a bonehead decision with that. Do, do you mean do you mean Texas or or, or nationally? Nah. Uh, Internationally, it's available on like, Netflix's internet international services, but not in the states. Now remember, but not our own country is not yet, part Colin. of. <laughs> yeah. C- CBS is not part of of uh, Hulu. It's not one of the networks. It's part of Hulu, so that's why they're doing their own subscription service. Oh, okay. Yeah, so you can get anywhere, oh. anywhere else in the world for Netflix and CBS all subscriber access once the first episode airs. Yeah, that seems to be to be a kind of a, a risky maneuver. <laughs> I have a yeah. feeling that they're going to put the first episode out, see the ratings for the first episode, look at all the money they're going to get, and not get half of what they thought, and then they're just going to throw it back on CBS. I, I hope so. I hope so too. Otherwise, it's going to be. Need, do we need to organize a boycott to make that happen? <laughs> Colin, you're in charge. Yep. <laughs> okay. I'll follow yeah. your lead. <laughs> and thank you for saying Texas is his own country. I appreciate that because we. Well, I was talking about like Texas in terms of you know. <laughs> no, I'm just television teasing. programming. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. All right, folks. Uh, Colin, thank you for stopping by. You're more than welcome to okay. jump in anytime you'd like uh, when you Thanks feel like podcasting. Me. Great. And uh, we're going to say uh, peace, love, and gaming. Have a good night, everybody. Okay. Later, people. Later. Later.